The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I'd like to tell you a story about nicknames. I have acquired over the course of my life a nickname or two, but I'd like to tell you specifically about one nickname that I acquired that really means something, but only to like three members of my family. So because of that, I'm in really no danger of telling you about the nickname. A long time ago, when I was very young, a long, long time ago, my mother had just recovered from a medical situation and we went out to eat to celebrate. We were very excited And we went to a nice restaurant in the town that we, at the time, lived. I was young and dumb and had never really been to a restaurant that had lobster on the menu. So when I saw lobster on the menu and I leaned over to my brother and I asked, now tell me, what does market price mean? He, being the brother that he is, decided to not tell me what market price meant and instead just say, well, it's probably just the average of the other stuff on the menu. Little did I know that I was about to order a lobster tail that had been flown in from South Africa that day. After I had ordered, my uncle leaned over to me and asked what I had ordered. And I told him, I, you know, I ordered the the lobster tail. It sounded like fun. You know, I never had lobster before. I thought it'd be fun. And my uncle thought this would be a really funny time to tell me that market price next to a lobster 
usually means it's variable based upon the day. Because lobsters can vary in price based on what it will cost from a supply and demand standpoint to acquire them at that moment. Immediately, I went pale and said, oh no, what have I done? So the next time the waiter came around, I grabbed him real quick and said, just out of curiosity, what is the uh, lobster tail price today? What's the market price? He goes, you know what, sir, I'll, I'll check for you. And he went and grabbed it and came back and told me. It was then that I believed that my childhood would end. Much like a Christmas story, I was under the impression that my father was going to kill me. I kept trying to get his attention. He was on the other side of the table from me. I kept trying to get his attention. Dad, dad, I need to tell you something. I got to tell you something. And he kept blowing me off. He was like, no, you can tell me after the meal. It's fine. I said, no, 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 dad, we need to talk now. We need to talk before any of this happens. My father already knew. He was just leaving me out to dry because he thought it was funny. Well, that lobster tail showed up and I ate the whole thing. And I made sure to tell anybody who would listen how grateful I was that my father was willing to pay for a lobster tail for me and how wonderful and amazing it was and how I would be a meal that I would remember for the rest of my life. After the meal was over, I found my father. He told me that he knew and it was an honest mistake and it was okay. And after it was done, he said, yeah, it's going to be okay, lobster boy. To this day, my father and a sibling or two will on occasion refer to me as Lobster Boy because of that faux pas, because of that ignorance that I had when I was very young and didn't know any better. But that's the interesting thing about nicknames. The reason why you can never give yourself a nickname is because nicknames aren't about the way you see yourself. They're about the way someone else sees you. Sometimes there's a story a particular anecdote that is particularly memorable regarding you and that person's relationship. Maybe a common experience, a bond you may have shared together. But it's always you viewed through someone else's lens. What we call things doesn't identify them in a vacuum. It only identifies our perspective of them. What you call them is the lens through which you see it. But that's not always the name of the thing. It is the method by which you see it. You are objectively your name. That is your name. That is your legal name that is on legal paperwork. It is an objective truth because there are only two entities who get to name you. Your parents on your birth certificate and yourself if you change your name. You are objectively your name, but you are nicknamed something else potentially. And each nickname, you can have three or four. They don't mean anything about you. They mean something about you as viewed through the lens of somebody else. So today's show is called By Any Other Name. Of course, a reference to William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, where the line of dialogue is, what's in a name, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. It doesn't matter what we call it, it matters what it is. What we call it 
It's just our view of it. It's our interpretation of it. But it is different than objectively what it is. I asked people on Twitter, do you have a nickname? How did you come about it? And the stories were all a little bit like mine. Well, I was called this because so-and-so called me that. So-and-so shortened my name and here I go. I had this experience with Mr. XYZ and then he called me this. It's a rebranding of you in their eyes. That's why you can't give yourself a nickname. But we do it in football too. We rebrand things. So be careful of terminology. I've used this one in a meme, for example. When we don't want to say that we're going to spend meaningful assets on a running back, we instead say he's an offensive weapon. Be careful when the terminology starts to change. Well, he's an offensive weapon. No, he's a running back. You just called him that because you're trying to distance yourself from the idea that you want to spend meaningful capital on a running back because you don't really like that. It might make you uncomfortable. So you're going to say things like, well, he's a weapon out of the backfield too. We don't really want our running backs to be weapons out of the backfield because we only really want to throw to them as a last-ditch effort. Having that skill set's great. But I don't want to run a passing game through a running back. I don't want a running back to be a secondary option either. I don't even want them to be the tertiary option. A quaternary option, sure, why not? Checkdowns, absolutely. If you can do something with a checkdown, get to be some yak, absolutely. But be careful about the terminology. You see this in politics all the time. A candidate who's running for office will attempt to rebrand their opponent. And that candidate's followers will follow suit. It becomes a rallying cry because of the rebranding. And it's, as you would imagine, not always in a very positive light. Here's an example of rebranding. People who play well during the time when we are most emotionally invested, we rebrand that as clutch. But the clutch gene that I've mentioned before is a real thing. There are certain people who simply perform better under pressure than other people. It's a real thing. You see it every day in your everyday life. You see it at your job. You see it at pickup basketball. You see it at sales jobs. You see it everywhere. But it's vastly overrated as a trait. Specifically with quarterbacks. In preparation for this podcast, I posted a poll on Twitter as to whether or not you would rather have as your quarterback the 2007 to 2011 Eli Manning or the 2020 to 2022 Josh Allen. People thought that was a wins or a quarterback stat poll. They thought, okay, he's doing this because everyone's going to take Josh Allen because they know he's a better player than Eli Manning was. But this is going to be a wins or not a quarterback stat thing. But you were wrong. I tricked you because I knew someone would at some point say Eli was more clutch. And I was ready. Eli Manning, first off, had 27 fourth quarter comebacks in 16 seasons, which is 1.6875 per season. Josh Allen has 11 in five seasons, which is 2.2 per season. Also, Klutz is a shockingly overrated trait in a quarterback. 
And people said, whoa, 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 Bruce. Bruce, what? you can't say that. Every quarterback has to come back at some point, right? And I said, yes. Every comeback is a matter of your offense scoring points and your defense and special team not allowing them. Otherwise, a comeback never happens. Every single game, you're going to have roughly the same amount of drives with your quarterback on the field and your defense on the field. This is why I cannot get behind the idea that we should just ignore defense and go all offense. You're putting more pressure on your quarterback by not having a reasonable defense. I'm not saying that defense is the most important thing. It's not. Offense and passing game are the most important aspects of football. But you don't put all of your energy into the most important thing and none of your energy into the second most important thing. That's terrible economics in any aspect of your life. Well, Bruce, you're going to eventually need your quarterback to score in the last two minutes. Yes, you're going to eventually need your defense to stop a quarterback in the last two minutes. You need your defense to be clutch. Completely identical concept. If you are down by 20 and your quarterback helps your team score three touchdowns in the fourth, that doesn't matter more than if your quarterback helps your team score three touchdowns in the first, so now you're up by one. Either way, you're scoring three touchdowns, but one is perceived as better because it happened when you were losing. If he did it earlier to prevent the team from being down in the first place, wouldn't that be better? Playing well matters. Not because there's anything particularly different about late versus early, apart from our emotions. This is really important. It just means more to us at the end. We are taking our emotions and assigning them to something's importance. Just because we feel something about it doesn't necessarily mean it's actually more important. Think about that for a second. Early, well, Bruce, whatever you do early, you still have multiple quarters to score. Late, you have to score. Exactly. Would you rather be in that position by not scoring fewer points earlier or force your opponent to be in that position by scoring more earlier? Scoring those same points earlier forces the opponent into a more single-dimensional game plan, which makes your defensive job easier. If you score exactly 35 points in a game, scoring those 35 points early is objectively better than scoring them late. We just feel differently about it. The New York Giants beat the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl not because Eli Manning was clutched nearly as much as because the defense was able to shut down a historically good Patriots offense. The Giants offense scored lower than season average that game. Lower than NFL average in points that game. But because it happened at the end, we feel a certain way about it. But that's the problem, is we're feeling a certain way about it. Clutchness matters because it means you're playing well late. But you don't want to just play well late. You want to play well the entire time. So clutchness is great. But if I have to take 35 points, I'm taking them in the first quarter, not the fourth. I'm putting the other guy up against the wall. I'm backing him into a corner. But what we've done is we've weighted people who play well late over people who play 
overall better over the course of the game. Every drive counts. There aren't certain drives that count more than others. If you score two touchdowns earlier in the game, two touchdowns later in the game, it's still two touchdowns. This is the same nonsense as the Bills can't win close games. Do you remember this? I had to rail against it in multiple pods and an article early in 2022. The whole narrative was just nonsense. Got a lot of hate for it. And then all of a sudden, the Bills went on this weird run where they were winning one-score games. Almost as if the best way is to avoid being in them to begin with. Because they become a coin flip. They become a coin flip. That's weird. Yeah. Because clutchness is overrated as a trait. It's a real thing. It's just not nearly as important. It's just being good. You will find that the people who are clutch over a long period of time are usually people who are just good because they're good over the entire game. We overrate it because we feel a certain thing. We feel that rush. Do you remember when Trent Edwards was Captain Clutch? When the Bills opened 5-1? and one? Do you remember that? He was Captain Clutch. Well, it doesn't matter that he's not good or throwing for under 100 yards in the first three quarters. That doesn't matter because he's Captain Clutch. No, it matters. Because the clutchness is narrowing your margin for error all the way down where now you have to be good in two drives at the end of the fourth quarter in order to pull a victory from the jaws of defeat. This is the singular best thing that the introduction of analytics has done for sports. It has forced us to question why we believe the things we believe. We grew up saying things like, when it matters most, for clutchness. And defense wins championships. And the key is to run the ball and stop the run. And at some point, those things may have been true. But they're not anymore. And did they change? Yeah. Did we follow along when they changed? Am I willing to change with the new data? Or am I just hanging on to it and treating the NFL like it's still 1992? This is the difference between calling something a rose and having it be a rose. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Sometimes the rebranding is happening. Things are changing because the manipulation of what the person believes it to be is changing. Sometimes you're lobster boy. That happens sometimes. Other times, it's not actually a rose anymore. Things are actually changing and we need to follow along with it. Recognize whether something's a rebrand or whether something's actually different than it used to be. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. I'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back. I wrote an article last week about a very popular first round pick for the Buffalo Bills, and that was Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell. And I want to share with you some of my thoughts because I don't anticipate that this will die down anytime soon. I think that this is probably a good narrative from today, the day I'm recording this, April 5th, 2023, until the draft, unless the Buffalo Bills sign a linebacker. Let's start with this. I like Jack Campbell. I think he has excellent overall size for the position. His arms are not nearly as long as you would think that they would be with his height. But he's a tall, athletic middle linebacker from a beloved college program at a position of perceived need in a defense known for being linebacker-centric. You can see why the connections are made now that other needs have lessened for Buffalo and free agency. Why on earth would I have concerns about this pick at twenty-seven? I don't understand the team building aspect to it. The organization traded up to get Tremaine Edmonds in 2018, sang his praises for years as he played almost every snap with a C on his chest, watched as he accumulated praise across the league in the form of official honors and comments from opposing coaches, then decided to let him walk after his fifth-year option to a contract in Chicago that did not top the contract given to former Chicago and now Baltimore linebacker Roquan Smith. And then after all that, they decide to draft his replacement in round one? If they value the position that highly, why wouldn't they have simply paid Tremaine Edmonds? If they don't value the position highly enough to pay Edmonds the deal he got from Chicago, why would they then invest their most valuable draft pick in the position to replace him? Perhaps they feel like Campbell would be an upgrade. If that's the case, that's a small window. If you want to try and thread that needle, it's small. Rarely has anybody discussed Tremaine Edmonds as being a top three linebacker in the NFL. But he's a good player who got an expected contract. Very few people looked at the contract that Tremaine Edmonds got and said, whoa, that's way more than I thought he would get. That was pretty much expected on the free agent market based on the linebacker contracts that we had seen. If he would have topped Roquan Smith, I don't think anybody would have blatted an eye. He didn't, but that was an expected value on a contract. He was a good player who will be missed by this defense. It's particularly true in the passing game. You may find that you see success being made by opponents more often over the middle in the passing game than perhaps you saw for the last few years. 
Maybe the team didn't want to have two linebackers on meaningful market contracts and having already committed to Matt Milano, they'd rather have a cheaper alternative. But if the position is that valuable, investing meaningful money in two of them would be logical. Here's what I don't understand. Why aren't we talking about this in opportunity cost the way that we should be? Because somebody responded to my article and said, you really don't get it, do you? You clearly can't do math. First off, I clearly can't do math is, that's a new one on me. But that's the difference between $17 million a year and 3 or $4 million a year. Opportunity cost is a real thing. And opportunity cost conversations are disingenuous all the time. Because they say it's Campbell on one side and Edmonds and $17 million on the other side. No, no it's not. Stop putting that as your value proposition because it's not. It's Edmonds and $17 million on one side and the Campbell pick spent on a different player alongside of it. And then Jack Campbell on the other side. It's Edmonds, $18 million, and the first round pick on a different player, whoever that is. So you're taking Edmonds, spending $18 million, but getting Jordan Addison. Or Edmonds spending $18 million but getting Zay Flowers. And then Jack Campbell on the other side. You are leaving out the opportunity cost specifically to try and be disingenuous with an opportunity cost evaluation. You are leaving it out. Everything in life is a value proposition. And I said that last pot. I'll say it every time I have a chance. I'll say it in every aspect of my life but you better darn well make sure that you're getting both sides of the equation correct. Because opportunity costs is part of that. On one side, it's Edmonds spending the money and spending the pick on something else. And on the other side, it's saving $17 million a year, but taking Jack Campbell. Get the balance right. Letting good players walk in a position is probably not a position you should then turn around and draft in the first round. If you had a good, not great left tackle, say for example, Deion Dawkins, are you going to let him walk to reset the money at the position and then draft a replacement? Of course not, because you think that having a good left tackle is valuable and you're willing to pay them good money, not top of the market money, but good money to keep him. Deion Dawkins was a top five paid left tackle when he signed his contract. Tremaine Edmonds is a top five paid linebacker now that he signed his contract. Very similar situations. If you know you're going to let somebody walk in a position, even if they're a good player, because, well, you know, I'm paying my quarterback, I got to make sacrifices, then just don't pick that player in the first round. This is the same argument as the running back. If you already know you're not going to pay him, well, I'll never pay running backs. Okay, if you never pay running backs, then don't pick them in the first round either. Because otherwise, you could be picking a position that you are going to want to pay. I like Jack Campbell. It will be an inefficient team-building exercise, in my opinion, if the Bills pick him at 27. Now, this is very important, and I need you to hear me on this. Just because it's inefficient doesn't mean 
it's not at least okay. It's just like picking your running back. If you pick a running back in the first round, that's an inefficient use of resources. I've said it a million times. That doesn't mean it's not a good player. It might not be optimal, but he's still a good player. I like Jack Campbell. I think Jack Campbell's a good player. I think he has really good spatial awareness. I don't think he is nearly the athlete that he tested to be, and he's not nearly the athlete that Tremaine Edmonds is. But I like his awareness and coverage. I don't think he has the range or the depth. I don't think you can ask him to play a Tampa 2 coverage and get that deep. I don't think that's who he is. I understand he tested really well. He doesn't play like that level of an athlete. So if they pick Jack Campbell at 27, I'll go, that's a good player. I don't love how that whole letting Edmonds walk, picking somebody at 27 to take a spot just so you can save 17 million bucks and then pay out a first-round rookie contract. I don't like how that whole thing went down from an asset expenditure standpoint. But Jack Campbell's still a good player. I still like him. And that's what I think about Jack Campbell, specifically picking him at 27. We got an email to get to that we're going to go ahead and get to now before we get out of here. The email says, Bruce, I have a podcast question slash statement on asset management. It says, hey, Bruce, I was talking with a friend about the Bills offseason, and I can't stop thinking about the theory I have about the Bills linebacker situation. Hear me out. After the breakout season in 2020, the Bills were able to re-sign Milano to what appeared to be a team-friendly four-year extension. That contract that Milano signed had a very digestible out after the 2022 season. Coincidentally, Tremaine Edmonds was set to become a free agent at the same time. Am I wrong to think that Bean overplayed his hand with Edmonds? Here's the chain of events. Milano re-signs after 2020 to a four-year deal with an out after two. Fifth-year option also picked up on Tremaine Edmonds. The Bills select Terrell Bernard in the 2022 draft after McDermott consulted with friend, colleague, and Baylor head coach Dave Aranda. Bernard's skill set resembles that of Milano and was drafted at a time when he had a year to acclimate to the NFL level of play. Another more significant investment happened on the D-line, and then Edmonds has arguably his best professional season. Milano's is even better, but Edmonds is in a position to cash out through free agency. Edmonds walks, Milano gets an extension beyond his existing contract, Bills have a huge hole. They have redundancy with Terrell Bernard. I believe that the Bills intended to move on from Milano after this past season due to their draft behavior and the contract structure handed to him in 2020. As we move toward the draft, I can't help but feel like they're going to be forced to address a need on their defense at middle linebacker in the first round, even after significant investments being made on defense every offseason. Sunk cost be damned. So my questions are, should Bean have made a stronger push to extend Edmonds prior to the 2022 season? Is Brandon Bean good at this? I view asset management and succession planning being a weakness of his as a GM skill set. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, he says, but at some point you don't get to keep pointing at the quarterback you selected as your proof of competence. The further down the road we get, the more prominent the word luck lingers in my mind with respect to the Bills selecting Josh Allen. The team appears to be regressing while the conference gets better. Thank you as always for exceptional analysis on the podcast and keep up the great work. Your efforts are greatly appreciated. Sincerely, Randy. I understand where you're going with this. I do. 
I don't think the Bills had an intention of walking away from Matt Milano. I don't. I think we're going to learn pretty quick if they believe in Terrell Bernard. If they take Jack Campbell at 27, they don't. That also lends credence to your theory. But I don't think they had an intention of walking away from Matt Milano. And here's the reason why. I don't think they needed to walk away from Matt Milano to pay Edmonds. Sean McDermott, as I mentioned earlier, has a defense that has always been described as being linebacker-centric, and he knows the value of it because his best defense had more than one good linebacker. So the succession planning idea of Bernard taking over for Milano, cutting a guy because you got a guy waiting in the wings, it makes sense unless you think about how significantly he values that position. He's seen what really good linebacker play can do for a defense that makes it to the Super Bowl. He's been in a Super Bowl with really good linebackers. I don't think he would want to cut or get rid of Matt Milano after two years of that really good contract. Do I think he should have pushed to sign Edmonds more? If he drafts a linebacker in the first round, then yes, I would have rather just signed Edmonds for $17 million, which is exactly what I just finished talking about with Jack Campbell. But what if he gets a linebacker in round three? Do we still feel like this? I think the amount of weight they put in linebacker this offseason is going to tell you a lot as to whether or not Randy's got a point. And I'm not above giving Brandon Bean some criticism. It's not always going to work out. At the very beginning of this offseason, I went on a significant tangent and rant about how I believed that Brandon Bean needed to hit a few dingers in the draft. Is Jack Campbell a dinger? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But he needs to hit a few dingers. He's hit some solids, some singles, some doubles. Awesome. But it's been a while since we got in a dinger from Brandon Bean in the draft. And that's what keeps the lifeblood of your team going, is having a star on a rookie contract. That's the best surplus value in sports. Is a banger of a player in the NFL on a rookie contract. So my answer to you is that I'm going to table this. I'm going to see what kind of asset Brandon Bean invests in the linebacker position in this draft. I don't think he ever intended to get rid of Milano. That doesn't seem like something Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott with the value that they place in Milano and also in the linebacker position would have done. Well, we got Terrell Bernard in the back. Eh, I don't know. I understand where you're going with this. And if they didn't value it that highly, then perhaps I would have. But I don't know how you go from, I think we're going to get rid of this guy to we're going to extend him based just on the fact that you lost Edmonds. That's odd to me. Last year at this time, you say, we're going to get rid of him. Then you lose Edmonds. You go, oh, no, just kidding. We're going to extend him. Why? You didn't have to extend it. You could have just let him play out. It just doesn't seem like that would be something that they would do and pivot that fast from one succession plan. You can't see me. I'm doing air quotes. Succession plan of having Bernard take over for Milano to now a completely different one. Maybe they knew they were going to have young players replacing Tremaine Edmonds, and they just wanted to have something that was a sure thing on at least one linebacker spot. And that's why they extended Matt Milano when they realized they weren't going to be able to keep Tremaine Edmonds. That's my take on it. 
We've gone a little bit longer than I prefer to go for this particular episode. But you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.